Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Intermediate Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Weiss. I am an artist. I'm Angel. I'm lifelong writer. And this episode is brought to you by just us. I mean, this episode is brought to you by Chunky Soup. Uh, when you're up until 3 a.m. watching movies to talk about on a show, and then you wake up an hour late and start recording three hours late, Chunky Soup will always be a good option. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, last last episode we talked about um, some Ghibli films that we have and haven't watched. And uh, both of us went through and watched one of those films that we talked about. So that we could and, talk about it on the podcast for you guys. And I think... And for ourselves. Yeah. It, um, so we each had a chance to watch it independently and uh, gather our thoughts about the film uh, <laughs> gather gather our thoughts so i was waiting to tell you this for when we started recording but i watched the movie twice yesterday i watched it once in japanese and once in english and i told you i wrote down notes while the movie was going right yeah so i wrote down 2000 words on princess mononoke i'm not going to read all of it but i have thoughts <laughs> okay and I wrote down part of my notes. I wrote down, I'm excited to talk for way too long about it. <laughs> yeah, so um, I've already seen this movie. This so... was my very first viewing experience. Yeah, so I, I'd, like, I'd like to hear you uh, start the discussion because I'm interested to hear the thoughts of somebody who's never seen it before. Okay. Uh, so I separated my notes into a few different groups. I'll just talk about, I'll just say, like, very first things that I thought after it was done. And first of all, I want to tell everybody listening that I enjoyed the experience of watching this without knowing anything going into it. I've never seen a trailer. I didn't know any characters' names, what themes were in the movie. The only thing I've ever seen before is the poster showing... Uh, the titular character, Princess Mononoke, and a giant wolf. So, if there's anyone that is on this that hasn't seen Princess Mononoke, I, it was a great joy to watch it knowing nothing about it, because I went in with a blank slate, and Studio Ghibli painted a wonderful picture with it. So, before really getting into this discussion, I just want to tell everyone... Uh, Highest recommendations from both of us. It's really a, a good film, and um, but we're going to express um, our thoughts about the entire duration of the film. So for anybody listening, there are going to be spoilers for the movie. We'll go ahead and let you know so and give you a few seconds so you can turn off the video. Okay, so actual actual thoughts about Princess Mononoke. Uh, first, I thought it was going to start Princess Mononoke. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised throughout the entire viewing just because I knew nothing about it. 
I thought it was going to start Princess Mononoke, so I uh, had no idea there was a guy known as Prince Ashitaka in the story, so that was a surprise right away. And this was also a lot more violent than I expected. Like, there was a lot of dismemberment and knives and bows and arrows and explosions. Yeah, that's something that really, really stuck out to me uh, the first time I saw it, too, that... Um, that movie actually really opened my eyes to what's possible with animation right from the beginning because I've I've never seen at that point I haven't even seen um, Akira so when, uh, when I saw this movie it just opened my eyes to the kinds of story you can tell with this art form it, it's like a new area was unlocked Right before we started recording, uh, I asked you if you watched it in English or Japanese. And I said I watched it in English. So I watched it in Japanese first, and then I watched it in English. But you told me you had a reason for choosing the English dub, and I wanted to talk about that first. <laughs> yeah, so for me, with, uh, with anime, I typically prefer the English dub because for me I'm more interested in the spectacle uh, like if I had to put the the story and the or the I guess the accurate uh, translation of the source material and the the visual spectacle I would put the visual spectacle a little bit more because it is uh, a visual medium so I I personally prefer to watch the drawings and the animation without having to have my eyes be bouncing all over the screen. So I can understand your reasoning with that. Uh, story is a series of actions and choices. And in a good film, in a good animation, these actions and choices should be obvious like and dramatic. You know, The only part where I would disagree with you is I would... If you had told me your reasoning before we went to watch it, I would have told you to be even braver and just watch the original Japanese with no subtitles and just let every hand-drawn frame, every painted background, and just the power of the soundtrack just wash through your bones, man. That's what I would have told you to do. Because after watching it in Japanese first and then watching it in English, there is a nuance lost in the English performances. Like all yeah. of all the voice actors are good, but there is definitely a nuance lost. And I don't know if it I This I, is definitely like old school anime dubbing where they they're kind of just going for a translation instead of yeah. going for the emotional like the the depth of the emotional acting. See, and I don't think that it's a problem with the voice actors cuz it's such a consistent like monotone throughout the entire project it must be voice direction because of course the original writers the original uh work is in japanese so there's a degree of separation there in the u.s because i believe that disney and ghibli at this time were working to release ghibli films in the west so it would have been disney people and disney stuff uh oh but yeah yeah i totally would have told you just watch it in japanese with no subtitles just be brave and venture into that visual medium with with all that thrust man 
Definitely on my next viewing of the film, that's something I'm going to do. So yeah, I like I said, I had stuff I wrote down for critical first impressions. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but I will read some parts. And I'm going to read a selection now. On my first viewing, I say that sometimes an artist realizes a piece so well that words fail it. It lives and breathes. And trying to tell someone else what exactly it does to you is like trying to describe what it feels like to sit in a room with someone you love. There's an expression that one can achieve when all the pieces fall into place that you know is real. This is a film where everything falls into place. This is not my favorite Ghibli film, but this is definitely a film I will admire for the rest of my days. And I'm excited to talk for way too long about it. My, my first impressions with this movie is how grand it is. It's th this movie is really is a spectacle. Th they they don't waste any time uh building up things unnecessarily. Uh they they go straight to the action and straight into the story. There there's no Luke Skywalker where he you know you see him being bored on the farm and then he goes on his adventure. It's just straight into it. Something happens immediately, it impacts everyone, and our main character has to go find out more about it. I agree 100%. I agree 100%. Like The writing is very economic in this film, and I really appreciate that, because... Like there's there's no unnecessary dialogue. It doesn't try to pad itself out. Uh, this is something that I'm gonna come back to with most of my points probably. But it feels like everything just falls into place. Uh, the first act of the film is only ten minutes, and that's a really short amount of time to get into the main thrust of the story. Like I was really um, not impressed, but I appreciated that. Because they didn't set up what village life is like or what this guy is like. You learn what he's like through his decisions and actions in the story. And, and throughout the film, you know, they they have a character in a in a tribe with his own with their own culture and their own rules and the, their own like society and. And other characters in the story make references to his culture being like very unique too. Yeah, I I specifically remember when when he was cutting off his ponytail at the beginning of the film, and looking at the men kneeling behind him, and they were all like very, very distraught by it. Yeah, I was paying very close attention the second viewing, and. The only time there was a quote-unquote exposition dump was actually in that scene, but I thought it was very tastefully done because was, yeah. the, the old man was explaining like the gravity and the importance to the tribe of what it means for him to leave, that he's the only heir to take over and lead them. Like Because they're all old men, so it's it's very sad that the strong young man who's going to be a leader has to go out on this journey and leave everyone behind. Uh, th this is the first thing I'll say about the localization. <laughs> so in the Japanese version, there's the girl that goes out and gives him the dagger, right? 
Yeah. In Japanese, that's his bride to be, but in English, that's his sister. Yeah. I think that in the English release, they want. So again, I watched it in Japanese first. So the frame of mind that this set me in is okay. He's not looking for romance. Like that's not his goal here. Like he has a woman that he already loves. So that's not something that I'm going to look for in the story either. But in English, I think that they wanted to add that element of of romance and searching for that uh, for a Western audience、mm. to think about. That's interesting. It's it's such a small context that. But it changes your perception when you're watching. Yeah. And another very smart thing that I appreciate them doing is,、uh, you'll remember the line they say it a few times in. The film, or wait, I wrote it down. Hold on. By the way, this this whole movie is cell animated, the old-fashioned way. That's that's amazing that they were able to make something like this. If you know about the process of the way animation used to be done,、um, they would draw, like they would do pencil sketches on paper, and then take a transparent piece of paper called a celluloid. And they would trace the pencil drawing with ink on one side of the celluloid, and then on the back side they would paint in the colors. And, and then you have to also animate the shadows and and the highlights. Like it's such a such a tedious process, such a long process. And I really admire about the Ghibli films their ability to everything is drawn so purposefully. So. When the two men from Lady Eboshi's、uh, group fall and Ashitaka saves them,、um, I, I really noticed that just from the few lines that they drew and the way that it, it's it's really subtle, but the way th- they drew, uh, uh, what's his name? the the guy with the the dumb guy with the wife. His name. Give me one second. Uh, anyway, I I particularly noticed the way they drew his broken leg. It's it's like just a subtle movement. Like if it was drawn by people、uh, less knowledgeable about the human form, you would think that it's just a mistake of the drawing. But it's drawn in such a way that it you can tell clearly what's going on. So, let me see. Man, my mind is working so much that I need to focus down. But so I was going to say earlier about setting the audience in the right frame of mind for the film. That in the beginning, when he's set off on his quest, the oracle tells him to see with eyes unclouded by hate, and that line. Given at the beginning of the movie to the protagonist, the protagonist being the character that we, the audience, identify with the most because we're introduced to him and we see the world with him. That also did so much for the setting expectations for an audience, because instead of looking for a bad guy, like it says up front, see with eyes unclouded by hate. So. To add to that, the curse that he's given at the beginning of the film in his arm, 
it's it's violent it's spiteful and it wants to kill so this thing is evil and he's told by the oracle to see with eyes unclouded by hate so i'm just trying to say it sets you in the right frame of mind to try to look at things with a more objective not objective i don't want to use the word objective to try and see true yeah i, I think objective is is a fine word to use because uh, the movie wants you to look at the different players in the game as not evil but everyone has their own intentions i, I think feelings of rage spite hate and negligence. I think those are um, really key. So the boars in the film, they they are like majestic beasts of the forest. Like that's that's what they're presented as. And one of their uh, worries is being turned into cattle. The the thing that drives the I guess the more antagonistic boars is their their jealousy and their hate towards humans um but also you have if you like the movie paints this is literally a town to the west so i i i think it is commentary on uh western culture in a sense um or or maybe not a commentary but like you know i'm just like putting things together that might not be there but um it, immediately we see that the people of Lady Iboshi's compound have little to no regard for nature and the laws of nature. They, you know, they're the ones who curse, uh, they're the ones who curse the boar with hatred. That boar in turn cursed Ashitaka. And, you know, in, in, that, same uh, in that same trip that they had, they didn't even bother to see if the men that fell were okay. Uh, they just said, you know, they're already dead. They're no longer of use. But then, as you go further in, you see that Iboshi is not just... Fil she, she's not like a one-sided uh, antagonist. She she cares deeply for her people. Um all the all the women in her town are rejects uh, you know they're all former prostitutes and even the people who she has working directly under her secretly those are all lepers you know these are people that are discarded by society but she she brings them in and gives them a purpose and they're very loyal and thankful to her because of that I didn't catch these things on my first viewing either. Um, the first time I I saw it, you know, I, I was more in a mindset of like, oh, that's that's the bad guy. This is the good guy. But the on my second viewing, I really got to see the nuances of the the two worlds. You know, even Ashitaka, he comes. I would say that he comes more from a world of nature, and. Um, and then you have this other society, which is the world of man. Um, it, it shows a clear distinction of mankind trying to separate itself from the rest of nature. 
because like even if you look at at iron town or uh i do they still call it that in the uh it's called the iron works okay so so this this compound that they have it's it's not even on the land you know it's it's in the water it's if you want to look at it through a very like nitpicky lens uh i, I would say so their compound is barely attached to the piece of land uh you know the, the mountain right next to it but most of it is in the water and i think you could look at that as humanity with this instinct i guess or or this this progression to pull itself away from the rest of the nature on our planet and be uh but we're still tethered by it their their compound is still tethered to the land surrounded by this forest yeah i i think that shows that there are are concerns in this world about uh the nature of humans and and their negligence for the world around them at times there was a couple things that you said that i wanted to say something about one of the first things you said that like it's kind of about western uh what what was it you said western culture a commentary on the west yeah i think more than any specific peoples i think that this is more about the nature of evil in the world that evil violence this is something that exists in nature it's not necessarily a human invention i also did say that like i'm putting yeah things together just that might trying not be to there. trying to explore just the yeah. ideas here so that's that was my feeling that i got when i walked away from it rather than thinking about rather than thinking about the human perspective about it i was more trying i was more struck by the uh wider philosophical feeling i got like again the emphasis on evil and hate itself rather than the human expression of evil or the human expression of hate because yeah because even the animal even the animal's hatred has uh brought destruction onto them too it perpetuates the cycle yeah both sides perpetuate the cycle uh something else that you said was let me see i don't remember what you said but you brought up the scene where right where ashitaka has a connection with nature where he talks to the kodama he's fine with being led by them through the forest fine with getting lost and i wanted to say that that scene where he meets the kodama for the first time is maybe my favorite in the film because i was mentioning earlier that the writing is very economic in this it doesn't waste any time doesn't lounge around doesn't rush forward with an agenda and in that scene i think that it illustrated that really well because in that one scene you perfectly understand ashitaka's position in this conflict because there's men drowning in the river he goes and rescues them he sees uh, princess mononoke and moro across the river and rather than hide he stands up and very forthright introduces himself he's honest with them about his intentions and then he goes back down to the men and he meets the spirits of the forest and he's not afraid and he goes to meet them 
I think that another writer working on this might invent different scenes to handle all this stuff. Like, okay, in this scene, you see he's good with the people. In this scene, you see he's good with the animals. In this scene, you see that he has understanding with the four spirits. But that was all done in one scene. And I think that that was really great for uh, progressing the action forward. Like, I remember after that scene, uh, they walked through the forest for a good while. And I was like, man, this is pretty. <laughs> this is nice. I'm glad that they're not... Uh... It, it feels like when stuff like that happens, that it's almost like padding out the story to get to a certain length. But there's a lot of confidence in this story. And there's a lot of living and breathing that this story does. Uh, another thing that you were talking about was just describing your like feelings and understanding of the whole story. And I think discussion like that's interesting. But like I said at the beginning, sometimes I feel like words uh, fail me to really describe what a thing is to me. So something that I'm very interested by is the execution and the practice of the whole thing. So I took a lot of notes on like other more specific writing stuff more than my interpretation of the whole thing. Cause like as for an interpretation of the whole thing, I, I wanted to let myself have this feeling of princess Mononoke in my chest rather than trying to, put a bunch of words to it. And that's just me because discussion like that's interesting. And I'm still interested in hearing discussion like that because all of us have our own different perspectives and it can, I think it's an indicator of a good work when different people can take away different things from the same piece. Uh, if you'll allow me, I'll read my understanding of the writing and the process for making it. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, upon watching this, I instinctually knew that the only way that this movie could get made is with pure honesty. There's a lot of positive and negative energy present here with different sides to every conflict. Doing this right requires the utmost self-understanding and honesty, and I want to explain this. So first... Another storyteller handling a story like this would probably simplify it with a clear villain that would rise up in the third act for both sides to fight against in order to restore balance. Uh, thus, the meaning changes and the story becomes less real, because how often in life is there an obvious antagonist with an obvious solution? This is a straightforward way to tell a story that I can't fault anyone for, since, just like real life, it's difficult to come up with solutions for big problems. Especially if you're the one that makes the problem, right? And then I wrote laugh track, because that was a joke. That was a writing joke. So I won't fault a storyteller for making this decision, but I will point out that it may be a lack of emotional understanding or reflection on the story, as well as what you as an author want to say that can prevent you from finding a real solution. So instead, you invent a new problem and pair that invented solution with sudden epiphanies within the characters. I think this style of ending will sound familiar to you if you've seen enough movies. Maybe it's just me, but inventing a problem so you can pretend to have a solution sounds pretty dishonest to me. And then I wrote laugh track because that was another joke. 
that's my first point explaining how I know this comes from a place of understanding and honesty. It feels like it comes to a natural conclusion. It lives and breathes, like I said earlier. Secondly, another storyteller deciding to make every level of conflict as complicated as it is in this piece, complicated as in showing both good and bad on both sides, could make the mistake of not choosing a side or, quote-unquote, letting the audience decide for themselves. I say that telling a story with the express goal of letting the audience decide is an excuse for an author who either isn't confident or is scared to express how they feel about their themes. They're hiding their feelings, and an audience can smell that. I'll say again, this isn't to fault the writer, because being totally honest is a difficult thing to do. I would say to just write an easier story instead of deciding to make one that falls flat because it doesn't say anything. Either write an easier story or really dig deep and find out what it is you have to say, because acting like you have nothing to say is dishonest. Not to fault the writers, because again, this is very difficult for anyone to do and something that I myself am still learning. So while Princess Mononoke has many sides, I believe it works well because above all of the positives and negatives between characters, I feel that what Miyazaki values most is the respect between living things, and all sides infringe on that. Everyone is, in a way, a villain because they put wealth and revenge above respect for one another. And that's the end of what I wrote on that whole thing. And like you said earlier, everyone has a duplicitous nature in this, like good and bad. And I think there's a lot of scenes that show that really well. And like I just said, I think that the reason that works is because this came from a place of honesty and understanding, from a place of like Hayao Miyazaki, the writer and director, knowing the good and the bad and presenting that like one for the audience to interpret, but not not from zero. Like he does have a way that he feels about all this stuff and presents all this stuff. I think I've talked for long enough to where I'm starting to confuse myself. <laughs> By the way, what a beautiful shot of him riding west, literally crossing the threshold. 11 minutes, 30 seconds into the film. That was a beautiful shot, right? Yeah. Well, that whole movie is beautiful. There's there's not a single part in that movie that doesn't that doesn't impress serve, serve a purpose. That doesn't impress. You know, I was uh, I actually made some notes for stuff to ask you about animation, or not ask you, but just some stuff I thought of. Yeah. So, along the lines of what I said earlier, where everything falls into place. It feels like no shots indulge in length nor rush forward with an agenda. Like every shot feels like the right length. Like do you do you feel that? Do you get that? Yeah, yeah. This it's it's very well done. They're very they're very confident and competent. There's an excellent rhythm to the whole thing and that's difficult enough to do with film where you have cameras that record stop and then in the editing room you adjust it but in animation that stuff needs to be so thought out beforehand with storyboards and all this stuff so i guess i wanted to ask you about 
that, like, what do you think about that aspect of achieving a rhythm in animation? Because the rhythm is just right in this. I think actually animation is very, very well suited for this kind of storytelling because, you know, with, with film, with cinema, you have, you have a bunch of different takes uh, of different lengths, even by a few seconds. And there, I, I think there is more spontaneity to, to film and a lot more exploring, I guess, it, at least from the, the kind of films that I've seen, they, they have a lot of uh, characters talking, getting to know each other, stuff like that. The The story is so grand in Princess Mononoke that they kind of have to have to just get into it and fill you in along the way. And they're, they're very, very decisive about what shots they have and how the story progresses. Because animation, you literally control every frame of your film. You know, it's like you can you can really micromanage in animation to to suit it to your needs i think it would be a lot of fun to watch this in japanese without subtitles and just let all of that seep into your bones like i said earlier uh by the way i said on a previous show that spirited away was the first studio ghibli movie to use cg but actually i was wrong about that uh, apparently 10% of this film did use CG for select landscape shots using hand-painted textures and uh, for the demon graphics, the tentacles that would appear on the different characters who were cursed. I think also it, it kind of looked like, uh, you remember the, was it the samurai at the end of the movie where uh, they were riding on a black horse and something looked off about those horses to me? I don't remember horses looking off, uh, but I remember that there was a CG push in during that sequence. Maybe the horses looked off just on that surface. Maybe. Were they still using painted textures and mapping them to the 3D? Yeah, it was all hand-painted, hand-drawn still, but they just used the CG for specific push-ins. Similar in concept to how Tarzan uses 3D, right? Yeah, yeah, similar to that. Uh, by the way, this isn't like a discussion point. This is just something I thought. Like Princess Mononoke, just that's a that's a powerful title. I like that. I, I like I like when it opened up and you just see that close up on the mask and the title comes on. It feels important. It feels like an event. And that's something we've talked about before. Like, can anything still be an event now? Because <laughs> this definitely felt like something of significance and i think maybe media is too saturated nowadays to would you call stranger things an event when it came out when it was at peak popularity that's definitely something that got into the zeitgeist but i don't know if that was something of importance it's more of a tribute it's more of a celebration of the past rather than something new because princess mononoke is striking with how new it is like even me watching it now what about game of thrones Game of Thrones. I think that would be one of the closest. I haven't watched it, but like it's in the zeitgeist, so that would be one of the closest things. The Avengers films? Yeah. Yeah, those are events. But, you know, that's something... Well, <laughs> I was going to say that's something by Disney, but 
then any of this stuff we're talking about is by some big animation studio. By the way, I think it's so intriguing that the first god that the film introduces, Nago, the first boar that they kill in the opening act, uh, it looks like a normal boar. And I really appreciate that because it saves the surprise for the other gods, what they look like for later in the film. And again, coming back to that point I made of it coming from a place of earnestness and understanding and all that, like it's not too eager to show you what it's got. Uh, again, all these things falling into place. It shows you this normal looking boar. It tells you that it's a god. And there's way more of these beasts and cool designs, but it doesn't show you something like that up front. There's restraint there. They introduce you to things at the best time to be introduced to them. Yeah. Remember how you see that they find the 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 crumpled up piece of iron in the boar, and then uh, after that you see Iboshi and her men firing guns at the wolves. Mm-hmm. That's... And, like, sure, I guess, in your head, uh, like, I didn't put that... You know, that's not something that I think... that I thought was directly correlated. And then later, when Ashitaka is hanging out with the men uh, in Irontown, he hears them say that Iboshi killed the the boar god. She's not afraid of the gods. And, you know, that... It clicked for Ashitaka the same way it clicked for the audience, I think. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Because that revelation was foreshadowed, but it wasn't implied. Yeah. Speaking of foreshadowing, I really like that when you meet the main parties of the conflict, they're introduced in a battle. So I think that was really good because you see both sides as nameless aggressors first and foremost. And that goes back to the central idea of the whole thing. Like you don't know Lady Ibishi and her men. You don't know Moro. Ibushi. Or is it Ibishi? Wait. I'm pretty sure it's Iboshi. I wrote Ibishi like 50 times in my document. <laughs> it's Iboshi. That's an O. That's an o. It's Iboshi. <laughs> Why did I write Ibishi? Hold on. I wrote a note specifically in my document saying, huh, in the climax of the English version, he says Iboshi. He messed up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just to finish the point real quick, I think it's so cool that both sides are nameless aggressors to start with. Because, you know, it, it doesn't give you time to sympathize with either of them. Like, you just see them both fighting right away, and you don't know who to root for. Because, again, you the goal of the audience is to see with eyes true. And something else I wanted to bring up with you is the small details in the animation throughout the whole thing really sell the authenticity and i really really appreciated that every time ashitaka uses his bow he has to attach the string 
or the troops, they have men set up umbrellas, they have to uncover the weapons, and they keep the caps on to protect the gunpowder from rain. Like, there's so many details that sell it when I think another studio or another creator, they would probably be too economic about it and just have a short, like, take the gun out and then just no mention of the rain, no mention of, like, anything like that. Yeah, the the, uh, the attention to detail is really remarkable because there's even live action stuff where uh you just pull out you just pull out the bow you just pull out the bow you just you just pull out the gun you don't have to it's it's very real the you know i think something in creating believable fantasy is having parts that are very realistic because our, our everyday trinkets have complexities that we have to attend to and seeing the detail especially with weapons you know that that's not super common that the the display of weapons and how they they have to be set up and you know even beyond that even the the subtle movements of uh what's what's ashitaka's elk's name yokul yokul yeah yokul uh seeing his his movements i i remember that same that same scene where ashitaka is fighting those samurai um in the beginning or when, towards the end uh, towards the end okay when they get to the top of this hill and then yokul just spins around in a circle like that's that's a realistic movement that they didn't need to include but it it sells it so and it's it's something that you don't even necessarily notice because it's so it feels so real that you don't even have to question it and the way the the women in the in the forge were pumping that thing you know with their with their legs to to keep the flames burning yeah uh, the movement animated and the the gravity you know like you can you can feel just from from the drawings that there's resistance to their pressure that they're putting on it and they're they're so masterfully animated to show the the physical exertion on their bodies you know something going back to um going back to the localization about uh his sister slash wife um, uh, don't say it like that but continue <laughs> I kind of thought he was just this like stoic stoic guy because I've never seen the Japanese version so I, I just kind of thought that oh he's this stoic guy he's not interested in that because he's surrounded by women that used to work at brothels and they're all like flirting with him and stuff like they're all attractive women and they're all flirting with him and talking about how handsome he is and he's he's just like there to to get to know what their life is like he's he doesn't you know he's not looking for anything this is a good time to cut to a short break so we'll be right back
right, we're, we're back from the break. Uh, what's that dope's name? Uh... Who? Gonzo. Gonzo. I knew you were saying, talking about Gonzo when you said that dope. Good guy. <laughs> uh... Probably my favorite English voice actor, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's really fun. In this film. Um... The, the his movements on his face are very fluid you know it's nothing is stiff like everything moves that, that's something i really appreciate about appreciate about ghibli films is that everything moves I, I like they have their own little touches i like when the hair floats up when the characters are having an intense emotion uh i like the the use of wind for for a dramatic shot like when when Ashitaka is standing on the roof uh yelling at uh yelling at San not to go attack Iboshi when he's you know he's he's standing there the wind is flowing on his outfit and on his mask or or his hood thing that he wears it's it's really beautiful in in Ghibli films when they use wind and you know, to get that extra gravitas, or gravitas, however you say it. Gravita. <laughs> gravita, bro. I think my favorite moment when I was thinking about the animation was after the climax, when the deer god falls and disperses into a huge wind. There was a long pause right there. And I wondered for, it felt like forever. I wondered if it was all for nothing. And then there was a wash of joy and melancholy when it wasn't, because everything lost was still gone, but it was a reminder that there's always time to start again. Do you remember that shot? Yeah, uh, you're talking about at the very end of the film, right? Yeah, when green washes over the mountains and everything. Yeah, um, looking at some of the close-up shots in that in that sequence, um, noticing how I don't know how they did it, but uh, the way that they used the paintings. Like, they animated the paintings, but not by putting a new painting each frame. You know what I'm saying? It looked like a fade, kinda. Like, when the plant- like, when- when plants were growing upwards. Oh. And it was a single painting, but it, that single painting was still growing. Huh. Yeah, th that's- that's really interesting compared to the way that they animate new plants blooming whenever the forest- whenever the guard- forest guardian, is that- the the god of the forest the deer god yeah well whenever he steps you know there's like a growth of plants they they draw those by hand mm -hmm. and e even in another ghibli film uh my neighbor totoro um when the plants grow those are like hand animated but here when the plants grow at the end of the movie it's you know it being a painting it, it being literally part of the background painting sells more that you know, it's it's something that's supposed to be there rather than something that's new inhabiting that place. 
Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's cool. Like the fact that they used it as a painting instead of as cell animation. Like that's a, in that case, that's a narrative tool. That's cool. If you agree, Weiss, uh, I think now would be a good time to play our game of the week. All right. So uh, you guys know the rules. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, we're both going to feed each other a quote. And in this case, uh, this week, since this episode has a, a theme, we're both going to feed each other a quote from Princess Mononoke. And we have to guess who says that quote. And this week, since we have a more specific focus, Weiss and I are both going to feed each other two different quotes. So I'll go, and then Weiss will go, and then we'll repeat. Sound good? All right. Sounds good to me. All right. Here's the first quote. Are you ready? Yes. Cut off a wolf's head, and it still has the power to bite. Iboshi. Ah, darn. <laughs> I thought that'd be harder. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. You can't win against fools. Toki. No. That's his very last line in the... Or, I mean, joke Jiko. Jiko. Yeah. I meant to say Jiko. Toki is the, the wife of that dumb guy. Mm -hmm. Koroku. Yeah. Um... That was actually my second quote. <laughs> Let me yeah. find another one real quick. Uh, all right, this one's pretty easy, but I thought it was funny. He isn't gone. He's life itself. He's trying to tell us something. Wait, say that again? <laughs> I'm reading it just like the actor read it. He isn't gone. He's life itself. He's trying to tell us something. Ashitaka. <laughs> Yeah, man, the localization of that line, when I heard that in English, I thought, man, that, that doesn't sound cool. That sounded way better in the Japanese. He just rushes through that line. Like, man. You cannot alter your fate. However, you can rise to meet it. So, in the Japanese, she's referred to as the Oracle, but in the English dub, she is the Wise Woman. We got that. We both got that pretty easy, man. The the wonders of watching a movie one night before. I have some quotes that are not, so we can extend it a little bit. All right, please kill me with it. I'm ready. Okay, all men are not created equal. That's the reality of our society. I learned at the young age of four. Huh, the young age of four. Is that one of the sick guys in her garden? It's uh, not related to Mononoke. Oh, this isn't Mononoke. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you give me a hint for the source material? Um, big. Big. Is, like, is that a hint for the source material or a hint for the character that says it? It's a hint for the source material. Okay. Big new animal? <laughs> no. Um, is it something that you and I have discussed on the show before? Um, I don't think we've discussed it on the show, but it's something we've both seen. I I'll give you another hint, okay? Mm -hmm. That other hint is green. And that's for the source material? Yeah. Okay, big and green. Well, I, I actually, I think... 
I think it's kind of, I think it kind of is too easy if I tell you if it's from a character or from the source material. Mm, okay. So from, from this point forward, I'm just going to give hints with no context. Big green. We haven't talked about it on the show, but we have both watched it. And is this a Western or Eastern piece? Dare I say? I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. You're going to at least have to double dog dare me. I triple dog dare you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no, my weakness. <laughs> uh, it's Eastern. Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask for any more hints because more than three doesn't feel tasteful big green and eastern hmm. and we haven't talked about it on the show so that means it's not a studio ghibli movie big is okay since i said big before i made that rule i'll say this big is not uh necessarily in relation to one of the characters but the scope of the show man i'm this close to tapping out bro <laughs> like big meaning uh he's fat <laughs> big meaning meaning like audience mm, you know the so show of is importance big. this is a big show significance mm -hmm. so that's all you get <laughs> culturally significant green Japanese. All men are not created equal. That's the, that's the harsh reality of our society that I learned at the young age of four. Nope. Oh wait, I had I had a title flash through my brain. Hold on. Uh, My Hero Academia? Yeah. Oh, man. Who says that? Deku. Deku? Yeah. Uh, when does he say that? When he learned that he'll never have a quirk. Uh, I forgot that in the beginning of that series, he's a lot more pessimistic. <laughs> That's such a good show. Yeah. You know, during the... Not the whole process, but during that process of me trying to guess... I'm going to just have that gif of uh, of Deku as a little kid excitedly shaking in the computer chair. <laughs> I'm just going to have that on the screen the whole time I'm trying to guess. Uh, do you have another quote? Um, if you give me a minute, yeah. Right, give me, give me one minute. Quote. Oh, no, I no, no. Kill, I, all right, 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 right. You said you had some. Kill me with it, bro. All right. Very well. But first, I must finish my roast duck. Um, 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 um. Is that Iroh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. But first, I must finish my roast duck. <laughs> Iroh. That just sounded like a, a wise old man thing to say. Like, mm, uh -huh. <laughs> Do you have another one? Okay. 
What's the difference between a moodle and a badoodle? <laughs> Skanoodle! <laughs> uh, that is animator Oni NG, uh, otherwise known as Chris O'Neill. You are correct. Three for three. I'm familiar with that joke. Oh man, I didn't get any wrong, did I? Oh man. <laughs> well, you said kill a kill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. <laughs> but you redeemed yourself. With a guess. Um, I have a quote, but I'm only going to give you one guess because I'm not sure if you've seen this. Okay. So I don't want it to drag on too much. Uh, but this quote is thematically relevant because I thought of this quote right after finishing Princess Mononoke. So it's not a Studio Ghibli piece, but it is Japanese. And uh, I don't want to give too much of a hint. I will say the quote and just tell me if it sounds familiar. Uh, Two in harmony surpass one in perfection. And again, I'm not sure if you've seen this. I need another hint. Okay. So it's Japanese. That's not the hint, but that's just... I, I told you it's thematically... Uh, one of the first things I thought of after finishing Princess Mononoke. Second hint, this originates in a game that has also received multiple adaptations. Is this going where I think it's going? Probably. <laughs> My guess is Persona 3. Yep. Good guess. See, I, I figured that you would know if I told you that it originated in a game. <laughs> I, I had a feeling it was Persona. Something Persona. But have you seen the Persona 3 movies yet? I... Actually, I have not touched it from where I last left off. Mm, okay. That would be fun to talk about sometime. Those Persona 3 movies are good. There's four of them, though. <laughs> Speaking of video game, uh... <laughs> speaking of video game, <laughs> speaking of video game, I I just picked up Cuphead again today after not touching it for months. Oh boy! And if I was having trouble with that goddamn dragon before, <laughs> I was a fish out of water. I didn't know what to do. I was just <laughs> freaking flopping around the whole screen. My 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 thumb is mapped to Smash Bros, so I keep trying to jump by pressing X, and it doesn't work in Cuphead. <laughs> that's that's a good one right there. I haven't gotten that far in Cuphead, but talk about video games and animation crossing over, like that thing looks great. It's it's really fantastic. Because yeah, very rarely are games hand animated. Yeah, and you know, me and you have had a discussion before about how you know these these uh, PS One and uh, and like SNES games were and arcade games. They're they're using pixels to emulate a hand drawn style, right? And they just moved up to 3D without really considering 
oh, why don't we just draw everything and use that as the sprites? Uh, so, you know, see, seeing those games that actually do do that, like, uh, uh, what's that one that came out recently? There's a new, like, side-scrolling beat-em-up game. Oh, yeah, Streets of Rage 4. Yeah, Streets of Rage, so... Great-looking game. Like, yeah, so Streets of Rage is, like, that, that retro style done with modern capabilities. And I think it's very true to what they were actually trying to do with those older games. So I've got two things to say about uh, this point. One is that I think that the reason that instead of going the hand-animated route that companies went with the 3D technology instead was because that was the newest technology. So rather than make a similar kind of experience, which would be a 2D experience, they went with 3D because you know there were there were more opportunities for different types of uh, interactions in a 3D space rather than a 2D space. So I think that people back then would have seen it as not exactly a move up if some people were doing 3D games, but other people continued making 2D games, uh, which is a shame because on the PlayStation 1, there's a lot of really good games with great pixel art that didn't receive as much attention because they didn't they weren't do, 3D. they didn't go with 3d another thing i wanted to say pixel art got its beginnings through the limitations of the technology but since then it's become an art form of itself because yeah. on twitter and online you can see people making short animated loops or just producing full landscapes with pixel art and it's a style that is still beloved by a big group of people because like pixel art is kind of like the lo-fi aesthetic in music. Pixel art is kind of like that for video games. I see that. Man, and then two two of the games that I hold very dearly to my heart, Shovel Knight and Undertale and Cave Story. Cave Story is one of my favorite games ever. Those are all games made with pixel art. Yeah, all all using the the pixel art aesthetic. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So. All right. End of discussion. <laughs> end of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, you know, um, that actually is similar to what happened with animation and cinema. Um, there was a lot of stuff done in three D because that drew more of an audience because it's it's more of a spectacle you know it's it's this new thing um mm -hmm. but now with with a lot of games like resurging to a pixel art look or uh or a hand-drawn look um and same with uh same with animation you know films like klaus and some of the stuff you see in love death and robots and you know like hand-drawn stuff but both in animation and video games it's not gone you know like there there are people who there's a market for it there are enough people who like it that would like to see more of it and that's that's something that um that excites me as 
not only a maker of animation, but also a fan of animation. Uh, I'm very excited to, to see more hand-drawn stuff out there. Yeah, very rarely do you get a handmade feel in a lot of media now. So I think that there's a big resurgence of that style because people want that kind of intimacy with, uh, you know, creators, creations. So hand-drawn animation, that's hand-drawn. <laughs> so that's, you know, an obvious connection with real people. Uh, yeah. Something else that I thought of, well, this is kind of related, but not really related. I'm just, I, I think a lot of people by now will have heard of the Apple Arcade, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm very, very excited for uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi's next project, which will be coming exclusively to Apple Arcade. And Hironobu Sakaguchi, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, he created the Final Fantasy series in the 80s. And for the last almost 20 years, he's had an independent studio, and they've produced some really great games. Uh, like Blue Dragon, Lost Odyssey. Uh, they had a mobile game that was really good called Terra Battle, and I played that for a while, but it did shut down recently, so it's not available. So Hironobu Sakaguchi's next project, Fantasian, very excited for, because to make this game, what they're doing is they're combining stop motion and CG. So they're building live dioramas, and they're combining that with CG. It looks really, really cool. So that's something I'm really looking forward to coming exclusively to Apple Arcade. That sounds really exciting. Uh, I, I'm, I might not play it, but I'm, I'm really excited to see what it looks like. Apple Arcade's good. With, with Apple's um, switching to a different, you know, Apple plans on uh, no longer having Intel be the manufacturers of their CPUs. They want to make their own CPUs in-house, um, similarly to how they do with the iPads. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, that's really interesting um, seeing the applications for, for the Apple Arcade because something that, that Apple is, is really good at is optimizing. Um, you know, if you look at their phones, like if you look at the base specs of their phones, they are lower than a lot of Androids out there, but... But they make the software too for their hardware. Yeah, yeah. And everything is so incredibly optimized and well-designed um, to run on that operating system that you don't even need that much power to to make things run very smoothly. And I'm, I am kind of excited to see the the benefits of having a system like that with more powerful hardware than you'd get in a phone or in a tablet um and, and i'm wondering if that has any implications for the apple arcade at this moment the apple arcade i believe you can only play it on an apple tv or an apple mobile device be it an ipad or an iphone so the apple arcade has not spread to their laptops or computers yet but I, I could see their efforts growing into that space yeah I, I can see um apple arcade in some sense um becoming their their steam or their eShop 
it's man the apple arcade it's going to be more than that and it's going to be bigger than that it's a five dollar a month subscription and you get all of these exclusive titles you can only play here not just titles you can only play here but there's other titles from developers that are added to like the new shantae game that recently came out on xbox that's on, Switch. Apple that's on apple arcade it came out first on apple arcade whoa yeah so it's not just exclusives there's a lot of stuff that come out on it so i am looking forward to seeing how apple's efforts into gaming move in the future because uh i think i think right now apple's in a great position for that more than google and amazon because they've been trying to get into the gaming space a little bit but they're I mean, no normal person knows that Google or Amazon is trying to do gaming stuff, but people know the Apple Arcade. I mean, people know Google Stadia. Yeah, but do they, though? <laughs> because yeah, uh, Stadia is pretty... I, I mean, the as far as brand recognition, it's really out there. But as far as um, people willing to use it, I don't think so. Yeah, as far as, like, regular users, it's extremely low. Like people, people who want to play on that platform aren't able to match up with players to play missions or play online matches because it's so low. Yeah, and, and I, I'm wondering if that's if that's growing pains or if that's just a lack of interest in Google as a platform for video games. So I don't think it's a lack of interest for Google as a platform. I think that Google just doesn't have a good product that people want because I will praise xbox game pass and apple arcade like i think those are really great services but google stadia it's a subscription service but you still have to buy all of the individual games and you don't get any local downloads for all this stuff either so like it can be removed from your possession at any time because it's just something you connect to online like at least with apple arcade and uh, xbox game pass that stuff you can install onto your system Stadia also uses a lot of data, so it it's very demanding for internet connection. And you know, I think that having a very good internet connection is already uh, not a privilege, but it's a it's a big luxury. The the premise is interesting, but the execution uh, leaves much to be desired. I I mean, I feel like now's a good time to give our recommendations for the week. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I have a recommendation ready. Uh, I mentioned this game earlier. Cave Story. It's a 2D platformer. It's an action game. It's a, I want to recommend this game off of our Princess Mononoke discussion because... I feel like Cave Story has a remarkable commitment to itself and a very, let me see, a very good sense of rhythm. So that consistency and that rhythm, I would liken to a Ghibli film. It's not epic in scale like a Ghibli film is, but just for those qualities, I would... Uh, recommend taking a look at cave story it's a very short game too it can be challenging like one of the main mechanics in it is that every time that you defeat an enemy 
like you have all these different little guns and blasters. Every time that you defeat an enemy, it drops points that strengthen your weapons. And every time you take damage, you're, you lose points in your weapons. So it's like the better that you are at the game, the more fun it is. And I find that really fun and satisfying. So it's on PC. Let me see. It's on PC, Nintendo Switch. So if you have either of those, uh, I highly recommend Cave Story. You know, as, as long as we're recommending things um, kind of um, similar thematically to <clears throat> Princess Mononoke, there's a short film I would like to recommend, and we can put the link to that um, in the description. Uh, so this short film is called The Elephant's Garden, and it, it's a very surreal animated short film about nature and the the rat race and the circle of life and, and more about nature itself and how things in nature like the the nature of nature if that makes sense um the nature of life to to grow and consume it's it's a very it's it's a very interesting film um it's it's very well animated very very unique so i i'm, I'm excited to to share that with our audience We'll have a link for The Elephant's Garden in the description below, as well as links to my pages, links to Weiss pages. And, okay, before I close out Weiss, uh, we should decide what we're going to discuss next week, because this week we talked Mononoke. Earlier, okay, what was it you brought up? You brought up Love Death Robots. So I have a question for you. Do you want to discuss Love, Death, Robots next week? Or do you want to watch the Animatrix for the first time and discuss that? You decide. I actually still haven't gotten around to watching The Matrix. You don't need to watch The Matrix to enjoy The Animatrix. But I think I should. Mm, I think you would be more interested in the world of The Matrix by watching this first than by watching the live action films. You might think that it's kind of ridiculous if you watch the live action films because it is a kind of ridiculous but the animatrix uh explores the idea in different vignettes and it's cool okay yeah, and I'll check it out they're all different animation styles yeah that sounds awesome all right so next week we'll discuss the animatrix looks like you can view it on amazon prime or youtube or hbo max and i'm looking forward to you watching it for the first time and us having a good talk about it. I'm excited to rewatch this, and I, I know that just by a consequence of me rewatching it, I'm gonna rank them. <laughs> so I'm excited. And until next week, have a good one. We'll see you next Saturday. See ya. Take care, you guys.